0: Okay. All right, gang. Well, this is an uh, exciting little uh, episode here. I'm hanging out with a good friend of mine, Sean. We'll call him Sean G. There you go. Sean G. Is there you go. with me? Uh, and one of my favorite spots in all the world. Uh, Sean, you might not know this, but this spot actually is part of the story arc of my um, Pacific Beach life that was basically the last, like, 16, 18 years of my life. Actually, even longer. Shit. Uh, I moved here in 95. Um, and uh, Turquoise more recently has been like my my digs. Like on Wednesdays, mm-hmm. I try to work on my business where I remove myself from the office and um, work on projects and try to exercise the right part of my brain that's not just task-oriented and trying to solve problems. And this is one of my favorite digs of all time. And they literally just did a complete overhaul on this like this is all brand new i've never been here at this table before hanging out uh and it's really nice by the way if you happen to be in the pb north pb spot turquoise coffee but sean's one of my favorite peeps of all time we've known each other for a while we've worked together uh in in a couple different capacities and um we're having a conversation right now and talking about some cool shit so friends sean g hey everybody
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> you should have uh, turned your head when you did that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was just, uh, yeah, just wanted to go down uh, my history with with Jesse a little bit, and what I'm trying to do is is grow myself as a leader into some areas that you know don't come naturally to me. And so I was in a training recently, and we were talking about people who are influencers of other people and people who just make you want to be on their team and, and how they do that. And something that I'm trying to stretch to do uh, in my own uh, business business life. And so I was just in this training, and I thought back to when I first met Jesse, and I was looking for a real estate agent, and my wife and I were expecting our first child. That's right. My wife was pregnant, and we wanted to buy a home. We had a condo, we wanted to buy a home, and I, you know, looked at some reviews. I was meeting with some people. And I walked into Jesse's office over off uh, Moreno Boulevard back in the day. Yep. And.
0: Humble, humble beginning. <laughs>
1: and walked in and did not get at all what I was expecting. I didn't get the typical, how many square feet do you want? How many bedrooms are you looking for? Right. All that kind of stuff. What he did was ask me questions about what I wanted and where I wanted to, to be in life and what, what I envisioned life was like in 10 years. Mm. And it wasn't at all what I was expecting, but I will say I walked out of that meeting thinking to myself, that's the team I want to be on. Mm -hmm. I want to be on his team. I want to be on Jeremy's team. I want to be on that team. And I just felt confident that if I was just on that team, we would end up where we needed to be. Mm -hmm. We were going to get there. And so for me personally, just thinking back to that experience, I wanted to meet up with you today and just chat a little bit more about. You know how you got there. What kind of what kind of books do you read? Who do you listen to? You know what kind of resources you tap into to get that? Because I need, you know, I do need to stretch myself and get get there a little bit more uh, personally. Well, I'm
0: humbled that you are sharing it in that light because the reality is is that, and you know, no one's crying for real estate agents over in the corner of any darkly lit rooms. Um, but I took, a, you know, I take quite a bit of a risk when, when I do that and I go there, especially when you first met someone and it's uh, usually breaking a lot of the expectations that you had for a meeting like that. Oftentimes, when I meet someone for the first time and they've met with other folks or they've done this in the past. They uh, look at the 90 minutes that we're carving out together, and they ask themselves: First of all, I don't think I've ever been in a fucking 90-minute meeting in my life, <laughs> but, you know. And then, how long is it going to take for me to tell them three beds, two bath, and the zip code? Like, what the, you know? And it's an almost impossible task for us if someone's thinking that and they're thinking it out loud, and it maybe even is manifesting a form of a resistance around even the meeting. For them, to, for us to be like, well, I mean just trust us. Like there's a, there's a process to this. And luckily you mentioned like some, you know, review sites and stuff, which help kind of lubricate some of that weirdness. You know, if at least a couple of our moms have said <laughs> that they like it, you know, then there's the hope for that. But in any event, um, to your point though, so you're right. I mean, there's very little of what we do that's real estatey. um, you know, a lot of folks, they come into the meeting and they, they think we're going to look at homes on the screen. You know, they're going to pull up like listings. I think that's a lot of what a lot of folks do because has to be a reason why that is an expectation that they come to. And we don't do that. We don't do any of that. You know, we we do spend the requisite time getting the where and the what down. But the rest is all kind of like a mini homebuyer class and then tithed in at the end with what we call the why. And the why is a manifestation of um a couple different works but um chiefly though is a book called the ultimate scenario and you're going to have to forgive me i don't recall who wrote it right now i'm kind of blanking but um as soon as you know recording is off it'll hit me amazon will know you know amazon will know and um And, and, you know, even quite honestly, there's a couple different kind of iterations of this. So there's probably, you know, three different mothers to this concept. But it's just a simple seven-question sequence that gets people to the truth. And the reason why I chose to do that so early on and the point that I want to try to maybe extend on to how you might be able to use this for yourself is is that there's a uh, larger reason why everybody does everything. Okay, so like for in my business, when someone's looking to buy or sell a home, that is like the monkey mind. That's the squirrel mind. And uh, John Maxwell actually wrote a really good book called QBQ, The Question Behind the Question. Have you ever read that one yet? No. Fantastic book. It's a quick read, too. And what he talks about is kind of a manifestation of this, which is that the question that your wife is asking you, you know, or your colleague is asking you is not the real question. There's at least one question behind the question of what this is really about. And so, you know, draw that onto the layer of real estate. There's a reason why people are moving into and out of homes, and they're usually the gamut of the same 7 to 12 principles that everybody does. But if you really, truly want to help somebody in a consultative role, you need to understand why they're doing anything, right? This is now Simon Sinek. Everybody, most people have read that book, right? Pretty popular now, very zeitgeisty. But um, you like I have to, or I choose to anyway, I don't have to do anything, I choose to under, get an understanding at that level, so that I can borrow their eyes and their purview, and I can truly be their partner, and look at it on the same side of the table, like arm in arm, in the direction of where we're going, because I understand the motives and the meanings behind their actions. And it's not you know, moving into a larger, more spacious home and getting a three-bed, two-bath because I'm in a two-bed, one-bath. That's true. It's part of the arc, but it's part of the introductory level of the arc. So those seven questions are actually broken into three categories. The first two questions are to hack at the things that are important to us. So they're like more of a selfish kind of basis, right? And then as you move into three, four, and five, they start to be the things that are affected by, or the people, and the things that are affected by the decisions that we make. So now it's part like family, friends, inner circle, you know, job, career, that kind of stuff. And then as you get into like the five, six, and seven, it's the it's the macro Mother Teresa shit. It's the stuff that it's the why that we're here it's the purpose that's fueling the whole thing and that's why you know it doesn't make a lot of sense to most people who don't have that experience you do which is why we call ourselves a purpose-based real estate and mortgage consulting firm and people think that's some Rick Warren shit you know <laughs> and it and the and it may or may not be but the truth is that's where it comes from is because if we're going to actually exist in an advisory role and uh, shepherd somebody on what's probably going to be their biggest bet financially they do in their entire lifetime, we better damn well know why they're doing it. Otherwise, we're not going to be a good fit to get it done.
1: Yeah, and that that makes me think of uh, one other story from our our home buying journey was um, my wife and I wanted some things a little bit differently. We had some different ideas, and we went to look at this one house, and my wife was like, that's it? I like that one. That's the one I want. What do you think we should put a, an offer number at, or whatever? And you are like, "You don't want that house." And for for you as I don't know how to put it as 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 our client, as someone that you know, I suppose could be looking at it as you're working for us. We right. chose you. We're paying you to do this job. For you to turn around and tell us you don't want to do that um, <laughs> really says something because it means you know you're really worth looking out for best interest and not just. Doing what we said we wanted to do, because, and you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have gotten there and understood that if you didn't take the time to know what was going on behind the scenes and what we were really trying to do. Mm. You know, we couldn't be happier about where we ended up. You know, uh, our daughter was nine months old when we moved into our house, and she's turning seven next week. And um, I have a five-year-old son, almost five-year-old son. And every day when we go into our front yard and, and the location that we have and see them playing out in the cul-de-sac and riding their bikes without traffic and, and this open space we have next to us that they can run into and, and go play with, um, just makes me realize like, oh, like he, he saw it before, before we saw it, you know? And, uh, so yeah, that was, that was, that was a big part of it. And another part of it and something I wanted to get your opinion on too was, um, you know, staying kind of upbeat and, and positive and, to, to influence people and influence the situation around you mm. um, can come off as corny sometimes. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> but, you know, there's, there's a fine line and, and kind of what you do to look at it or what you've done in the past mm. to, to research. How do you, you stay positive and want to lead people with, with positivity mm. and, and get people on your team without seeming like, you know, the rah-rah mm. corny cheerleader guy?
0: And first of all, I want to be clear that uh, it felt a little awkward there for a second that it was a greenhouse group commercial, right? But I appreciate that you laid that because that's the setting for our relationship, and that's the basis for which this conversation can now begin, right? So, apologize for that, folks, if that turned into a Sunday morning special there for anybody. But um, a couple things. So, first of all, you know, and I say this out loud, I may have even said it to you guys. But, you know, I cut it straight even at the risk of it creating an uncomfortable conversation. And it's just the who that I am. It's not something that's feigned or that I did read in a book as a strategy or a tactic that would be good for sales. Right? Make, you, make me gag. Um, my dad's from Brooklyn. You know, I don't know if that's just kind of the DNA that just trickled through. Like, he always cut it straight. I don't know, man. I, I just feel like the... The the sycophant Pollyanna, uh, I don't feel I have time for it. There's In social settings, you can justify just about anything, any neutered social setting (laughs) that you have to find yourself in unceremoniously. But in business, I don't think there's any room for it. There are some things that I will agree will come off corny if there is resistance to it. And that's another risk that I have to take because... I am trying to manufacture a great experience, and sometimes you do have to be the hype man, Um, but I'm also the cut man, you know? But in either scenarios, hype man or cut man, I'm always in the corner of, I'm in your corner, I'm in the corner of the client that I'm serving. And so I think that my licensing to behave the way that you're saying that you might've experienced is twofold. Number one is that Um, if I'm always honest, I never have to worry about blurring that line of being a Pollyanna. If I'm excited about something, you're going to fucking know I'm excited about it because I can't, you can't fake that. Like if I roll into a home and I'm like, damn dude, look at, you know, and I'll start flying around like that. You can't, at least I can't make that up, you know? And then similarly, if I'm, and I'm not feeling it, you know, I might let you have your process first because I'm not the one buying the home. I'll let you process it first, but there's no way that we're getting past that front curb without you probably looking to me and say, Jess, what do you think? And then me cutting it to you straight. You know, I don't recall that uh, example in particular that you mentioned, but uh, I don't I don't also um, uh, doubt that it happened because... You know, if you'll, if you'll talk to other clients in the past and even some Yelp reviews I remember that I've read, they've said that that was one of the things that they appreciated the most was that, that moment where they knew that I wasn't a salesperson, you know, and that I do treat your money like it's my money. And if and if I can't imagine my own family buying that home or at least the story arc that you shared with me as the narrative that we've been working through since day one when we did the seven questions as a good fit for you, there's no way I'm going to sit idle, you know, and let you get in the way of yourself of a purchase that I don't think is right. Now, ultimately, you can still trump my vote because it's your money, but you're going to hear my opinion if you ask for it, right? And so to the point about being, um, like how you can actually, you know, deconstruct that into, I think that the first thing is, is um, having the basis of a relationship where that is part of it. And I have a license to be able to do that because I do the seven questions. I do the ultimate scenario. Now, if I hadn't done that, it would be my opinion against yours, right? Versus my guidance or my advisory role to lead, guide, and protect you, right? That's different. So I'm getting a buy-in because of the extra level of efficacy that I placed on the beginning of the relationship before we ever actually got out into the field in earnest so there's a there's an there's an there's a thing that has to happen first like you can't just I, my belief is that I, I can't just show up at the front door and start existing in an advisory role for you if you haven't asked for it or if there hasn't been actually a permission that's granted as a result of the process that demanded it in the first place and then the second thing is 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 um being totally true and pure and honest to whatever it is that's coming up for you and i think that that's how you like that's how you and i would be as friends. So why would it be any different in business? You know, and I think that your unconscious mind can always hear the thin clank of the inauthentic. And if you're if you're bullshitting, then you're rupturing trust and relationship immediately, and I think that that comes right
1: through. I mean, would you not agree? No, I totally agree. And you know, I wouldn't be here talking to you right now as part of this if it wasn't you know, if I didn't appreciate that and appreciate the honesty. Um, so that all makes perfect sense. Right. So then, one one last thing that I had on my mind was another part of it. Something that I'm not the best at is just the the networking kind of not. I won't say cold, you know, getting to know people, but like having this tangential relationship and like getting into people. Now it's different. We have different reasons for for doing that. For me, it's just building. Relationships within the company that I can yep. later leverage to do my job yep. better. Um, for you, it's it's part part that and part just that's how you do business, okay. right? Yeah. People aren't buying homes every other year. Um, right. So I guess I was just looking for a little bit of insight on on your process or or how you approach those kinds of relationships where there's not too much there, but you want to, you know form some, some sort of connection, but it, you know, again, you don't want to force it or be dishonest about it either.
0: Hmm. So one thing I think that's cool about what you said, and I'll just frame it in some, a different packaging of words, is that everybody's in sales. Now, personally, I don't like the word sales because it's got such a charged connotation for everybody, for myself included, it tends to be very negative. If you're being told, you're being sold, right? There's like this, there's like this, uh, this packaging of opinions that drives narratives, and it's just not. I don't feel that doesn't resonate with me deeply as somebody who's in uh, service to one, to someone else. But just to kind of use that as a loose associative frame. Like we're all in sales, even if you're in bureaucracy, of course, you're in politics. Of course, if you're in retail, of course, you know, if you're behind the counter, like you're in sales. And so what we're talking about is, is just your potential, um, human, uh, life value, right. Or your human capital to the people that you are, um, uh, in, in business with, right. So either in a lateral or in a vertical capacity, And I think that the cool thing about this is this is an extension of what we just said a second ago is that if you are contriving what you're saying or you're doing it for the purpose of selling something, I got to believe that that is a relic of the past that is now phasing itself out. So like in, for example, in my industry, there are still dominated by what we call the traditional real estate agent. Who's just trying to sell you something, right? And what that will be replaced by is, and this is my humble opinion, is tribunal leaders that are in relationship with people, a small tribe of people, like no more than 150 people, right? And you exist in a um, in a type of relationship with them that transcends the business maybe that you even met each other at, right? Or the service you provide for that person, Right? And so the same thing I think applies if you're talking about it like in your situation which is that there are definitely some skill sets that some people have and some people don't and if you don't have those skill sets of giving a fuck really and that's a skill set like if you don't then that's an interesting thing because you and I don't have that right you and I we don't struggle from that that comes naturally and so I don't really know how you get from 0 to 1 you know what i mean like yeah. you know, there's a lot of folks like you know engineers you know that have the kind of, they just they have a tough time they almost they almost lack that affect a little bit you know and and i i don't know what to say about that like i feel like there's a there's sort of a minimum buy-in to get to the table and then once there hopefully right for most everybody else present company included then you just truly have to give a shit like you really really have to care And not because it's a strategy, but it's because you actually believe that the juice that you'll get out of existing in a helpful, like like actively listening, maybe that's a good thing to talk about. So when you hear the word listening, like how would you deconstruct
1: that? Like if you were to teach me how to listen, what would you say? Well, first of all, to listen, you have to not be talking. So, you know, really listening and is is being silent almost um, but on top of that you want to listen without thinking of how you're going to respond you want to really listen to what the person's saying and try and hear what they're saying and how they're feeling so it's, it's more empathy built in if for true listening uh, than just listening so you can construct your response it's listening so you can understand what they're saying and feel how they're feeling so you can really sympathize with them and move forward from there that's very impressively brilliant um
0: i would agree with that absolutely and my my sort of hack at this is there's a three-part sequence to know that i'm actively listening so to use this as an example i would do exactly what you said i would actually listen which would be code for actually giving a fuck right i would actually listen And then the second thing is I would resist the urge of stimulus response, stimulus response. Because that is 99.9% of every interaction that we have in our daily lives. Is that I'm waiting for you to stop talking so I can grab the racket and volley it back over with something about me. And then it's just a you, me, you, me, you, me. It's like we might as well be computers. Because I'm not actually having an experience. I'm not having a human experience with you. Right. So the actual listening, the pausing. And then the repeating back what you heard them say. Okay, so to play this out again. So what I heard you say, Sean, is that to truly listen to somebody, you actually have to stop. You have to be silent. You have to pause and you have to take in what they're saying. Right. That's the first step to it repeating back what you heard them say, and then sharing with them the impact that that's having on you or the way that that's making you feel. Now, the difference that what happens there is if you're looking at it almost in terms of a diagram, we use the mention of the the tennis players, like volley back, volley back, volley back, where you can't even get like a silent word in edgewise, right? If there is this you say something, I pause, I repeat it back to you, which by the way, the value of that is just to make sure that I heard you. Right, and you might be like, no, 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 what, no. What I meant to say was this. Okay, cool. So it's just to create that like lock-in of understanding, and then the what that what's coming up for me as a result of that, or the way that makes me feel, it's deepening the point. So now it's impossible for us to go back up to level one anymore, because now by me going to three, you then are then forced to go to three. It's an impossible thing not to have happen. Right. So now we're deepening. Now we're deepening. Now we're deepening. And if you almost do that as an exercise, it's shocking to see how universally um, like how, how much universal spelunking takes place when you even get to like four or five. Yeah. You start getting back to that Mother Teresa shit like we were talking about in the beginning. And, and then someone feels like they were heard. And, you know, there's the old thing like you have two ears and one mouth, you know, do twice as much listening as talking and all that stuff. But when I practice that for myself, the person usually ends up going away feeling like, wow, that was a really cool experience. They don't know why, but it's just because they, they for the first time maybe in their whole lives or at least the last 150 conversations they can remember, someone actually listened to them.
1: Perfect.
0: Right. So, you know, when you talk about networking, and I've done it all, brother. Like, in my business, I've done it all. Okay? You have to. It's a non-negotiable. Like, you right. get in, you don't know anybody. Uh, like you said, you know, it might take however long it takes for someone to even do what it is you do for a living. And then and that's why most people don't make it. It's just because they can't weather those, you know, they can't get up on board and they can't weather the gaps. And so you've done it all. And... Everybody, for the most part does they go to the meeting or they go to the conversation and they think what can they get out of it and if you can just switch that into what can I give to help this person without expectation of return I know we're getting a little Hallmark Cardi right now (laughs) but like no bullshit and if you practice the active listening you'd be amazed I'm constantly amazed
1: at how I leave those interactions yeah that's great that's all Really good insight, and uh, you know, I'll I'll start practicing this and thinking about it. I'm sure my wife will thank you because she's the one that <laughs> I'm doing most of the listening with, you know. Uh, so I think I think that would be good because it'll help, you know, business wise, but help me personally also. But so practice it right now. Okay. So what you're saying is to just retrain my mind when I'm having a conversation instead of thinking about what I'm going to get out of this relationship or, um, how I can respond to, to increase my, uh, what I'm gaining out of it right. to think about, Hey, what can I, what am I doing here? I know I, I asked you here to ask you questions, but, but I can also flip that and say, what am I doing here to help, to help Jesse? What can I do right now? What am I contributing to this to help you out? Mm. And that makes me feel like, hey, this is a real partnership Mm -hmm. and not just, you know, you're here because you have to be here or because you think you owe me something or because whatever, you think this is going to help you out. You're really here to help me out. And uh, I'm really here to to help you out. And We can both walk away benefiting from this and, and feeling good and moving on with our day.
0: Right. Yeah,
1: I love that thought. Um.
0: I don't have anything to add to that. No, I think that's a good spot. Yeah. Yeah. So b- backing up to the um, – it's not, so what I heard you say is there was two key points that you were uh, interested in, in kind of getting a little deeper understanding around. Uh, the one had to do with your experience in working with my team and the initial consultation and the whole thing about – you know, it being almost like a life plan and talking about shit like 10 years, like just the the complete obliteration of what expectation you might have had for that. But, or and, how that can be something that you apply to you. So I'm curious, because we kind of just boom from that to the next. How, how, like, how is that true? Like, how could you go back on Tuesday and potentially have that be something that you work into your business?
1: Yeah. So the way I'm looking at it is I have 20 people that report to me and I'm part of a bigger team of, you know, 200 people uh, in my department. And so what I want to do is, is really get buy-in. First of all, from those 20 people that work for me, I want them to be on board with the stuff that I feel passionate about. Like your ideas? Yeah, my that, ideas. That, would that be accurate? Your yes, ideas? My ideas okay. on how I think our business, where our focus should be in our business and what should we, we should be concentrating on. And I want to really, it goes both ways. I really want to listen to them to know what they feel is important so that I can display that same passion for, for making those things happen. And I really want them to be on my team. And once I have those 20 people that report to me really on my like really on my team on on board with what we're doing and why I think it's important, you know I I want to take that and expand it to the other 200 people that are in our department. You know there's there's four other managers in my department with you know 20 to 50 people on their teams. So how can I get our team to buy in to drive what the whole department really wants to do? Um, I think that's that's really where it needs to go to, to hit that next step is we feel that there's something important. But how do I get – we We can't just do it on our own. I need I need the other 200 people. It's It sounds like – it's like
0: Beirut in the 1980s right now. But uh, believe it or not, that guy was super cool. He actually – I'm trying to give him the thumbs up here. He can't see me. He actually drove down the alley so it wouldn't be that bad. Thank you, man. Um, cause we're like these knuckleheads sitting here in the coffee shop with freaking microphones
1: with garbage trucks going by. This is so,
0: so Cal, dude. <laughs> right. Um, well, so one thing that came up when you said that is, um, something that it's one of those concepts that, that I learned really early on, but it's so difficult to put into practice. So it's almost like, it's almost like one of those things that I have to learn over and over and over and over and over again and even as I'm saying it right now I still like I don't have even the remoteness of mastery around it's still just sort of like an awareness and that is uh, there's a quote and I'm gonna I'm gonna totally butcher it but if you want advice ask for money. And if you want money, ask for advice. I like that, right? Yeah. And so, what's funny about that is that, like, when you, when you're trying to enlist your team for ideas, the mistake I think—and and I'm laughing right now as I'm chuckling about this because I'm just thinking back, like, because I'm the tribunal leader of my business, my team, and that's my one of my roles that's one of my contributions is I'm the idea guy. I'm the guy that comes in and uh you know we've joked in the past that like and I I have, there's no shortage of ideas for me. That's easy for me. The hard part for me is execution. So I have to surround myself with people that are great executors otherwise nothing gets done. Because I am a 10 on quick start <laughs> and I'm probably a 1 on finisher, right? And so uh, when I come in on a on a meeting, it'll be like, okay, Jesse, he, Jesse's hot on some incoming, <laughs> you know, you know, just dropping bombs on people, you know, like with stuff to do, you know, new new uh, new ideas. Instead, enlisting them by asking for their advice. Uh, you ever, you, ever, you and I grew up about the same time. Do you remember married with children? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you remember one of the Funniest storylines of all time from that sitcom was that when Peg would reveal that she had an idea, but she wouldn't go tell Al, she would then play out this whole sequence on the couch where she'd make Al think of it himself. Oh yeah, yeah. And then when he thought of it himself, he He would think it's the greatest idea, and he'd start going. And then she would just be sitting there like cracking up. Like I don't know what the hell she always did. She had her hands moving with something. She always ate
1: bonbons, and she always.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And it's this. It's the same concept, right? So. Um so if you have an idea you know strategically go carve out some time maybe no different than this and 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 ask people for their advice you know and if you can get them to have bought in to the thing that you were fishing for by themselves and then not hijack it from them now you have a partner, you have an ally, you have an executor, you have an implementer on your team, right? And and the second part, I just kind of glossed over it, but it's it's like the most important thing, and it's the one of the hardest things to do in the world, is to not hijack people's ideas. Um, sorry. Yeah, not hijack their ideas and then rob them of their mo- uh, momentum of getting it done. I'm so guilty of this with like my wife, you know, like, She'll like, oh, hey, I got this idea. Like, what do you think about it? And there's this huge part of me. It's like, it's like the gorilla versus like a tiny little mouse. You know, like the gorilla is this part of me and the mouse has no chance. And the gorilla thinks that the reason why she's asking me is because she wants me to make the idea better. Like she's coming to me like almost kind of like, I don't really have this figured out. Like, what do you think? And then I can save the day and be like, well, what about this? And The the worst part about that is that that's not what she wants. She just wants me to listen to her and be like, oh my God, that's really cool. And be like, awesome. And then she goes and gets it done. Now, if I try to make it better, if I try to one-up it, I rob her of her excitement, enthusiasm, and motivation to actually get anything done. So I left that conversation thinking I was the hero. And the truth is I just completely fucking A-bombed it. So there's this dance there. It's the... Ask for advice, and then it's the don't rob your teammates of their ideas by trying to think you're making them better, because if you do, nothing will get done. And then you're the only one that's ever going to get anything done, and your morale is going to be low.
1: Yeah. It's perfect. Yeah. I don't really, uh, yeah, I don't think I have anything else to add other than your dad is from Brooklyn. Both my parents are from Queens. Ooh, whole whole fan I was born and born in Queens grew up in Brooklyn a little bit moved, nice. to, moved to New Jersey when I was five so we got the whole uh, East Coast thing I do not have uh, any problem telling people <laughs> what they don't want to hear yeah. yeah yeah
0: at the risk of it creating an uncomfortable conversation right Yes. and that's if that's a flag that I'm gonna go down in a ball of flames in then then light it on fire because yeah. I can't do the Pollyanna Sycophant thing. Do you think that's a? Do you think that's like an East Coast kind of, you know, New York, New York thing, or what?
1: What do you think? Yeah, it's definitely something in the in the water. Mm -hmm. You know, it is it is a little bit cultural with that. I, I think there's always regional cultural things, and yeah, the Northeast is very like abrupt, fast paced. New York City, you know, always never sleeps, right? And it's just one thing to the next everyone's busy everyone's has a goal and a destination in mind people walk and do everything with a purpose yeah. and i think it's hard to grow up around that seeing that experiencing that and not not take a little bit on mm. of it yourself mm. and uh so it's definitely where i got i got part of it from i'm very uh task oriented i'm very much like all right uh checklist well check one got it done Check too. You know, I'm just going down trying to get these things done. Um and that's why you know part of what brought me here was just how do I make my mind work in other ways? It's just like anything else. You have to train yourself and you have to practice. And you know, just looking for the good spots to go, the good books, the good whatever, you know, to, to pick up on so I can I can absorb it and practice it.
0: Yeah, the ultimate the ultimate scenario I hope that's what it's called, man. It's been a hot minute since I got that book. Um, I really hope that's what it's called. It's really popular, though. So it's like, I don't think you're going to have any trouble finding it. Uh, John Maxwell, QBQ,
1: that's a great one. Uh, You mentioned the energy bus. Yeah, we had to read that as part of our training. And that was, I kind of hinted at it before talking about leading with positivity and that positive energy and just, you know, staying Staying positive and getting people on board with what you want to do, mm. uh, you know it, that book. Uh, if you're interested in it, was had a lot of good points in it. Its presentation, in my mind, was a r- hit the corny hit the corny notes every once in a while there. Um, but uh, you know the underlying ideas were really good. Of just hey, if you want to make something happen in your life, in business, in anything, you need to have it as a goal and stay on it, but but do it positively and use positivity to influence the people around you to get on your bus, as it were, and to start pulling in the same direction to help you achieve what it is you're trying to achieve.
0: Yeah. One of my favorite books, uh, you know, Jim Collins, the Mm -hmm. guy who wrote Good to Great. Um, I don't remember which one in his series of many, if it was great to, I don't know, he's got like a a handful of them, but, but one of them, he talked about the bus metaphor, you know, and I've always, that resonated with me deeply. And I've always referred to that as a great metaphor of how we build our business from, from an internal perspective is that we, 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 we have like, we know we've got the bus, like, and we know what direction we're going in. Right. And so now the, um, the challenge and the task is, is you know like Mitch Kupchak. of I don't even know he I don't even know if he's even the Lakers dude anymore. He might have gotten no, he's not yeah he got capped yeah. didn't he? That's right. Well I always refer to Mitch he's the, because... Uh, he's the Hornets dude now. Fair enough man and I, he's a he's a solid front office man so I'm sure he'll he'll make some good moves over there. But um we got magic now so you know uh, he, you're he, fine. yeah he's the panacea, you know. <laughs> but um you know I always loved uh, his comment that he had made where, you know, he's always thinking about the next season. He's never in this season. He's constantly looking at every other court across America, front office and back, uh, front court and back, to figure out where his next team is going to come from. You know, and I, and I think that's an interesting um, uh, cul-de-sac that I can find myself in sometime. sometimes is that it's exhausting and it's an energy expense to be thinking about growing the team. Like my inclination is to want to build inside out and make the squad that I got currently better. And I don't think that these two things have to be mutually exclusive, but it's that idea of always looking for who's going to fit the right seat, right? Because that is a thing that's forever evolving because you know, you've got the right bus moving in the right direction. So now it's just a matter of looking for the right people to put in the right seats. And it's an interesting um, dovetail into. You mentioned another you know, call for resources. If you're a podcast listener, one of my really good friends, uh, Dean Jackson, uh, a brilliant marketer, and uh, he's uh, hooked up with Dan Sullivan, who's the strategic coach guru. And uh, they've done a fun little side project podcast over the last two years called The Joy of Procrastination. And it's brilliant. And what it has sort of evolved into is this entire body of work around who, not how. Who, not how. So if you want to know how to 2X your business, you can find it in how. It's just probably working harder or spending more money on marketing, right? If you want to 10X your business, depending on where the starting point, the basis is from, you could probably still how your way into a 10x, it would be very hard, but what thought exercise that they've talked about is 100xing, which would literally explode anybody's brain who's doing, it. 10x is hard enough to even imagine, right? But if you 100x it, what, what is absolutely true, it's, it's non-negotiable, is that you can't how your way into 100x. The only way you can 100X is by hooing. It's like the Richard Branson model, right? He just basically walks this earth with his host of resources, both mental and, and of course, financial. Mm-hmm. And he just finds people to partner with. And, and he, he does his role, and he lets them do theirs. It's kind of like Shark Tank. You know, it's like that whole thing. They're not trying to buy the business. They're trying to buy the idea, and the person is going to execute it, and then they play their role. And I think that it's a very close metaphor to what it is we're talking about today because it's the who, not only on the squad that you got right now, but the cup check looking to who's going to be the squad for next year that is not only going to execute these ideas, but also is going to get you from where you are right now to where you want to be with the ideas that you want to execute
1: as well. Yeah, that's a good point. So as a, as another practice round, so what you're saying is <laughs> to to move forward, you need to, you know, not just think about processes, procedures, etc. Who who do I want on my team that's going to do it themselves? That's going to want to do it themselves and and be part of that, be part of that team. And that is you know, that is that is a big step. You know, I do have um, just recently hired two leads underneath me, and both of them that I hired I think this this was the one thing I did right was I hired people that didn't know the job they didn't know it very well at all they didn't know the X's and O's of what was going on but what they had was a track record of taking ownership and and wanting to do the best they can do and taking ownership and moving forward on that
0: without derailing you quickly how did you how did you vet
1: for that so what I did was I You know, everyone sends over their resume and their everything else. Um, I take a quick glance at that, but what I really do, and what I found to be the most useful, is calling people that they worked with, calling their, calling their, their peers. Not so much their, their bosses, but their peers, and talk to their peers and say, "How did you feel about working with so and so?" How did did you get those resources from them, or did you get them independently? Not independently. Just you know, I've I've been with the company I'm at for. Uh, over ten years, so I know most of the people, so I know where to go. I have the, I have the connections to reach out and say, "How did this person do? What do you think of this person?" And I and I have the people I trust to to get those answers from.
0: So they were promotions from within. Yeah, for those those Got examples,
1: it. they were. You know, if they, if they weren't, yeah, you'd have to. It'd, it'd be a lot more difficult. But I would, I would do the same thing. I would still reach out to you know there's there's a million resources where you can get contacts at any company i can go on linkedin right now and type in name of company x just find people just message them all blanketly and say what did you think of so and so and and get their input but but yeah the the goal of it all was to find someone maybe they don't know the x's and o's maybe you can learn that you can learn that what you what no one's going to learn is to that attitude of taking ownership and running with the stuff that they're given and being self-starting and, and really moving forward with it.
0: You said something before we hit record on this, that I think is an, is a, is a, is a, it's a, a really important piece, which is that you recently did some work with the disc profile. Yes. And you learned about yourself that you were a, I'm a CD. Right. And for someone maybe who doesn't have that context, what basically does that mean?
1: So that means, uh, the disc profile, step back for a second. Uh, is four different management styles. So D is dominant. That's the person that thinks high level, do this, do that, move on with their day. Um, I is the influencer. That's the person who, uh, you know, is getting people on their team. You know, they're, they're the life of the party. They're talking to everybody to, to get them on their team. S is the, uh, kind of more, more quiet, uh, reserve type that wants the S
0: is the socializer.
1: Yes. Yes. They're the socializer and they want, they want harmony. They want everyone together. Um, You know, they're not big fans of of conflict and they like to really dig into people's feelings and and what they're going through to to get harmony. Uh, And the C is the conscientious, and that's the person who's very analytical, stopping, thinking about all the angles, doesn't do anything fast, you know, likes to dig through everything. And so, like I said, I was a borderline conscientious dominant. So uh, I, I see a little bit of each of that in myself where I. I do like to get all the information. I do all the research. I I do like to know everything I can know about something before I make a decision on it. Um, but I do have some of the some of the D's. Uh, I was I was primarily a C, but um, I do have some of the the dominant things where I do like to just once I know everything, state my opinion yep. and just here's what I think. You know, and sometimes uh, you know there's there's pros and cons to everything, right? So the the pros to that style are that you know, I, I'm typically well informed, uh, and I, I know what I'm I'm doing. Uh, the cons to that style are it can come off a little cold. It can come off a little. He doesn't want our input because he said something so, you know, dominantly. So, so you know, this is this is so. You know, I, I do speak a little uh, emphatically and like I don't leave room for others to question me or to add their ideas. And so part of the whole thing was just me. Stretching into those other into those other areas to slow down a little bit and you know be a little bit more positive, find the find the things right with what people are doing, and not point out the the things that are going wrong with what they're doing, and um, you know reach out a little bit more, get more team input to things instead of just taking it all on myself and wanting to know everything there is to know and pass judgment. You know to to really stretch myself to be more more team more positive driven you know what's interesting to hear
0: you say that is um
1: you are a expert hower yes what level of school did you finish uh, i have a master's degree in engineering
0: i knew it yeah. right so and, and you know you're a similar age to me you know we came out of the uh You know, we have the industrial-military complex now. Well, you know, school wasn't that different in (laughs) the way that they were trying to produce a bunch of hours. It was all a relic of the Industrial Revolution, and it served its purpose. And now moving forward, our system has shown a lot of its gaps or antiquatedness, and it's having a tough time kind of like moving into what it's going to end up being, and hopefully we'll get there, you know, in the next... Uh, Epoch, you know, or iteration of this whole thing, and that is uh, the entrepreneurial, you know, when machines are going to, uh, when when digitization and machines are going to end up doing 90, fuck, five at least, whatever, probably 100% of every single thing that we know of right now, eventually, someone says to themselves, well, well, then what are we going to be left to do? Well, that, you know, uh, so when you think about the skill set that you're bringing into your job, um, it's what got you here. And the trick and the challenge is that it may or may not be what gets you there. Yeah. Now that's the, exactly
1: the point is like I was we're telling here today. you before right. is, you know, I've gone as far as I can go with the how and the jump business wise from my current position to my boss's position is a is a five to one ratio. You know, right. it, it, you're cutting out 80 percent of the people in between this. You know, it's like jumping from uh, college to the pros, right? You got 250 some odd college teams. There's only 30 NBA franchises. You know, and, and it's a big gap. And the how and what's gotten me to the position I'm in now has been the technical expertise and and the how, right? And I'm starting to realize, opening up my eyes to the bigger broader picture of, you know, the strategic leadership of the, of the company and of the group that it's not, it's not how anymore. Yeah.
0: And that's, that's the piece right there is that as you shift from where you are right here, it's all about the who. And so now dovetailing all the way back into the other threads that we spent time on already uh, in our little hangout session today is like how do you take your current skill set and create your own little tribe of peeps that you're going to build up in and around you? Because you are a D. You're a strong D. That's why you are a leader. That's why you've been able to rise to the rank and position that you are right now is that you do have those leadership skills. But so much so that you also recognize the shortcomings and the gap that you need to find a way to bridge in order to become the 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 top 20 percent, you know to to be the the director and so what came up for me just like a flashbang is don't you know resist the urge to try to be what you are not you know like um like that one dude who wrote the old the the strengths um Mm -hmm. finder dude i
1: know what you're talking about i I I forget his name build on your strengths don't 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 uh, focus on your weaknesses. Exactly,
0: exactly. And so, so you're at that point where, and again, I'm just, I'm just riffing right now. But this is, just, so you're at that point where you could individually, on a one to one basis, connect at a at a deeper level with each one of the the, the people who are going to make up like that inner sanctum of tribe. You know, it might not be all of the 150 right now that are going to get you to director, but like that inner sanctum, like start with one. Uh, there's a dude, um, I forget his name again, I'm the worst with names today, but he wrote an article you can Google called your first 1000 fans, fucking brilliant. Your first 1000 fans, incredible. That's exactly what you're on the path of doing right now. And so inside of those spaces, you're creating the, you're, you're creating the space, first of all, and then you are getting their buy-in on their ideas and helping them execute them based on your strengths and skill sets. Now that's honest. That's the formula. I
1: think we just came up with the formula. I think we got it, man. Yeah. So what did what did you hear me say? Or what did you hear us say? So there's, you know, 150 people in my department. There's it's well, over 4,000 people in the company. But the important part is where's the who are the 10? I'm going to go to when there's a real issue. Who are the 10 that I want on my team, that I want their advice on, that I want to help me develop solutions and develop this, you know, this, this core group to, to push not just me, but all of us to where we want to go, to help each other out yeah. and play off of each other's strengths to, to accomplish what we need to accomplish. Right.
0: And I love also the thought, and we did this work at the beginning of the year um, where we wrote a, a manifesto. Um, and you can check this on the YouTubes. I put mine, mine up there reluctantly. <laughs> it's like this really high level of vulnerability that comes up when you do something like that. But because you, what you're doing is you're, 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 you're planting a flag. And if you do that, when I do that, there's going to be winners and losers. There's going to be a people that that does, that that does not, you know, resonate with. And I have to be comfortable saying that they're not going to be people that I help. And there's this inclination in business to say, oh, I would, would love to help anybody who'll just have me, you know, and you know, the riches are in the niches anyway. And that's not any way that you're going to, that's not a tribe. No, that's a, that's a general collection of loosely associated people, right? And so the, the key unifying factor is manifesto. And the manifesto does not, at least my own interpretation of it, is that it does not suggest an execution plan. What it is, is it's an idea. Okay? It's an idea. It's saying, look, here's status quo. Okay. Here's what I'm recognizing with my experience and my mastery and the things I'm bringing into this and all the years I've put in on this is what's wrong with it. Here's what's broken. And here's where I think we need to be. So what I'm doing one-on-one is I'm creating a little tribe of people that feel the same way about it, that have something to say about it and have something to contribute to it. That's the buy-in. Okay? Then from there, they get to share their ideas. Then from there, you don't rob them of them, right? We talked about that. And then from there, you basically offer up your own uh, skill sets that make you unique to you, not you not being you, you doing you, to help that person be able to uh, accomplish that, which helps you accomplish your big vision. That's the formula. That is the formula. That works. We just fucking came up with that right now, dude. Nailed it. If you'd like a recap, rec- <laughs> it's a little awkward to record these things, but I'm really grateful that we did because now we have a digital asset, something that we can actually pull from if we ever decide to do so or not. And so, um, are you complete?
1: I'm good. Yeah. Thanks, man.
0: Well, thank you, man. Um, so until next time, brother. Shanji